Welcome to our 76 Capital Leadership Series. My name is Wayne Kimmel and I'm your host and also the managing partner of 76 Capital, the venture capital fund and chairman of our 76 Capital sports advisory business, which we launched a couple weeks ago. Really excited about what Dan Bravado and his team at our 76 Capital um, sports advisory business is doing, working with professional teams and working with um, leagues and conferences and media companies and, and looking at all the different incredible things that are happening within sports, whether it's sports betting, esports, the media industry and how that's changing, as well as one of the most important topics of our day, social responsibility. So really excited about what Dan's doing with our 76 Capital Sports Advisory business. You can follow me um, at Wayne at 70, at Wayne at uh, sorry, at Wayne Kimmel across all the internet, um, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, great way for us to stay in touch with each other across all the things that we're doing. And of course, at 76 Capital, we're all about looking to work with the entrepreneurs that are doing the next, next thing in the sports business, whether it's the sports tech world, the sports betting industry, or the esports industry, and just all the new innovations across sports. And we just love doing this show. And you can follow this show on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe on our YouTube page uh, for all the things that you can learn about the different you know, sports executives that we bring on to the series, athletes, as well as all the entrepreneurs that are doing the next, next thing in sports. And that's why we do this show, to really an opportunity for everyone to learn about all the things that are happening in sports. And today on our show, we have a really special guest. His name's Scott Pioli. Really excited to bring him on. You'll be able to follow Scott at Scott, Scott Pioli 51 on Twitter. And we're going to go through all the incredible things that he's done throughout his career. I mean, Scott's an NFL Network front office analyst. He's a CBS Sports front office analyst. He's been was in the NFL for 26 years as a GM, uh, personnel director, and won the NFL Executive of the Year five different times, also winning three Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. And most importantly, I think today, and this is we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this today, Scott is an advocate, an ally for equality, social justice, and social responsibility. And there's nothing that's more important than what's going on in the world, as well as the sports industry, as one of those things. So at this point, I'd like to bring on our special guest for our 76 Capital Leadership Series, Scott Pioli. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Wayne. Appreciate being here. Thanks so much, really. Really excited to, to have you on the show. We've been we've been talking about you joining the show for the last several months, and um, it's been I'm just I'm I'm thrilled to have you. Well, it's a thrill to be here because I've been watching faithfully, you know, you and all the people that you've had on, and there's been some really incredible and 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 humbling, you know, uh, views that I've had because there's some people that uh, have done some incredible things. So thank you very much for having me. I mean, with you, Wayne. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And, and thank you for the introduction to Jessica Gelman from the MIT Sloan Conference and getting to meet Jessica during this time, interviewing her and learning about all the incredible things that she's she's done with the New England Patriots organization, uh, the, what she's doing from Kager's perspective, as well as the Sloan Conference it was a really a, a great introduction. And thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Jessica's amazing. You know, she and I uh, worked together back in New England a hundred years ago. She was just recently out of Harvard, you know, she went to Harvard, played basketball. Harvard was a terrific basketball player at Harvard. And she came to the Patriots and, uh, 
you know, uh, I treated her like everyone else when she joined the organization. Was a little rough on her at times. Had to make sure, you know, teaching her how to get in lane and and. Uh, but I tell you what, I think over time, I've definitely gotten more out of the relationship with Jessica uh, as a friend and doing stuff with her at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Um, she's an amazing person and, and a really good friend. Well, thank you again. And uh, it's great to see you and great to see you. I see you're, 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 uh, you're, you're set um, down in Atlanta with uh, those beautiful three uh, Super Bowl trophies behind you. Oh, these old things? <laughs> That's the problem, Wayne, is they are old. Yeah, I finally got back uh, to our house here in Atlanta after uh, you know, my wife and daughter and I had, had gone up north uh, to our place in Nantucket to kind of get away from the, what, the craziness and try to get a little bit of a change. So I'm back because I've got to go back to work here soon. So this is actually you all are getting to see me from my, my background and my set in my office where I'll be doing my TV work this fall. Well, we're excited just to watch you on the NFL Network and CBS Sports uh, this fall, and hopefully we'll we'll have some really exciting NFL football back this year. I'm really excited for that. So one of the things that we really love to do, and I certainly also, I'm sure there's incredible memorabilia and some other things behind you that we could probably talk about, but one of the things that we do on our 76 Capital Leadership Series is really dig into who is you know who's our guest what are they really all about i mean certainly you've done incredible things in the nfl won super bowl championships five time you know um uh, nfl exec of the year but i'd love to hear your backstory where you grew up and really what made you what you are today yeah well i guess you know it, obviously it starts with my parents and my family uh, my dad's from the bronx my mom is from queens and uh shortly right before i was born they moved from the Bronx where they were living up to a town called Washingtonville, New York, which all New Yorkers say it's upstate. But, you know, I think when you get on the other side of the Tappan Zee Bridge, everything ends up being upstate. So uh, Washingtonville is this small town in uh, Orange County, New York. Again, just on the other, not too far up the Tappan Zee Bridge. And uh, grew up in this, you know, um, it, a very interesting town. At, at growing up at the time, I thought it was the greatest place on the planet to work. I mean, to, to, to live and, you know, my dad worked in the city and my mom also worked and, uh, and was a homemaker. She did a, a number of things. And, um, you know, that town was a, was a pretty remarkable place. It was a, essentially, uh, again, as I look at it now from an, a different perspective, it was an incredible place to grow up, yet it has many of the things that towns like it had, you know, we, we were town civil servants. Everyone was either a city cop, a city fireman, or a union worker. My dad was a union worker, and uh, you know, and commuted to the city for for most of his his life. But uh, you know, with that, it was a very very um, stereotypical white flight community that had a lot of very hardworking people, and really, um, again, like. Any place that all any one of us grow up, it has a lot of pluses and it also has a lot of things that make you think years later that maybe weren't as positive as when you looked at them at them through the eyes of a child. Well, growing up, I mean, were you I mean, you're, you're, you're so involved today in, in, in the sports world. Um, you know, were you an athlete when you were growing up? Tell us tell us some of these stories. I mean, I know you played football and I would love to just share with us some of the things that, that you did as a kid. And what others I mean, did you play other sports as well? Yeah, I, I played a lot of sports. Uh, whether or not I was an athlete uh, or a good athlete is still under debate. Uh, 
you know, so growing up, I, I my, my first true love was football. I loved football and I loved baseball equally. So I played baseball all through uh, my childhood, uh, football through my childhood, through high school. Um, you know, so I played, played those sports and there were different times where I played actually uh, that's great. The Washingtonville Wizards. Boy, I tell you what, that was a tough team name to have growing up. People were like, the Wizards, man. That, you know, this was long before there was the Washington Wizards. It was a tough team name to have growing up. Uh, everyone else had team names that were so much tougher than the Wizards. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I tried other sports. I tried a lot of other sports. Um, there was a point in time where I wrestled and I tried to wrestle, but the truth is I did not have enough personal self-discipline to be a good enough wrestler. I didn't, you know, I wasn't crazy about some of the um, the the physical demands, right? Uh, losing weight, having to keep a certain weight. That was never part of my program. And, uh, and just the, yeah, there's a lot of mental and emotional discipline. And I was much more geared towards being in team sports than I was in individual sports. I was on the track team for a little while, you know, not running, of course, but doing the shot, disc, and things like that. But none of those sports lasted. Baseball and football certainly lasted because I love those sports dearly. So after high school, um, tell us what, 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 happened, what happened next. With, with you. Yeah. So, so after high school, you know, I'll, I'll say this because part of the journey that we'll get back to is um, during high school, I, I was truly blessed to be around a couple of really cool coaches. And, you know, when I was a sophomore, we were eight and one. When I was a junior, we were 10 and 0 and the number two ranked team in the state of New York. This was before they had state playoffs uh, back in the day. That was in 1981. And uh, our senior year, we were eight and two. So I was fortunate to be a part of a really successful football program. From that point, um, went on to college to Central Connecticut State University and played football, was there for five years, registered my second year uh, after breaking an ankle. And tr the truth is I would have needed the extra year at Central Connecticut academically. I was one of those guys who, who showed up without a whole lot of direction, spent a whole first two years um, you know, being a bit of a knucklehead and just trying to figure out life, trying to figure things out, coming from a, a background um, that didn't really prepare me for college, nor did I do very do a great deal to prepare for college other than to play college football. Um, you know, ended up spending five years there, and uh, those were five of the most incredible years of my life for a lot of reasons. And I don't mean just the social part. I mean the people that I met, the coaches that I played for, um, the, the friends, the teammates who are still lifelong friends, just like some of my uh, several of my my high school teammates and close friends. Um, it was a tremendous experience, a tremendous five years at Central Connecticut. You know, you, you've, you've already mentioned, you know, high school and college, you know, the types of relationships that you've had with coaches and, and teammates and friends and other people. Um, I'm assuming that's something that is has been a real thread or something that's been a real theme for you across all the things that you've done in life. Do you think that 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 some of those um, that you learned a lot of that while you know in high school and in college, which allowed you to be successful moving forward. Oh gosh, yeah, and and, and even pre high school, you know, growing up, I mean, some of the um, Pop Warner and and Little League coaches that I had, and the teammates, the the people that I met through sports and had to work with, um, were pretty incredible. But even as a young kid, um, I always looked up to some of my heroes growing up. Um, people that I that I looked up to and wanted to be and, and aspired to be were athletes of, that were ahead of me. Um, 
But again, even before that, I, you know, my parents, school teachers, coaches, people that set examples on how to try to do things. Um, I certainly tried to do things like them or like they, like they asked me to do, um, sometimes was successful, sometimes failed miserably, both from a performance standpoint and as a human being. And, you know, that's part of the journey too. And, uh, there's, you know, I, my, my third grade teacher, Miss Cooper, who's Mrs. Jackson now, is one of the most influential people in my life. You know, Coach Green, Coach Jarris, Coach Ruckteshell, these people at Washingtonville High School that had such a significant impact on me. When I went to college, Coach Buddy Amendola, uh, who was the head coach at Central Connecticut, Frank Leonard, who was my position coach at Central Connecticut, who really, after my second year, where I could have gone either direction, uh, it was my first year without football and without structure, without discipline, because you know I wasn't getting to practice every day because I was injured. I missed a, a lot of time when I came back to practice. I was probably had a social life that, um, not probably, I certainly had a social life that wasn't conducive to being successful. And uh, Coach Leonard came along and, and really uh, laid down the law on a lot of different levels and helped get me back focused to the things that I needed to do. So those people, you know, there's a saying, you know, where it takes a village and we all belong to different communities at different stages in our life, Wayne, you know, whether it's our childhood, our first unit, our first village is our, you know, is our family. Then it becomes out, you know, outside of our family. It's literally the village. It was the village of Washingtonville. Then it became the central Connecticut community. Then it was every community that I belonged to afterwards, where as you get older, you actually end up contributing more to those communities and you want to give back as much as you're getting from it. Well, we're excited to have Scott Pioli, the, you know, who's now with the NFL network, CBS sports as well, a 26 year um, uh, executive in the NFL, three time Super Bowl champion, five time uh, NFL exec of the year on our 76 capital leadership series uh, and really heard the, you know, interesting background and how important all the relationships that Scott's had in his in his early days as to how they led into uh, some of the success that he's had in in the in his in his, in his full career I mean Scott and, and once you uh, left Central Connecticut um, it looks you went off went on to Syracuse and you went to be a coach there so was that how did how did that transition happen from player picture man uh, we, we could go with this there, there's a Syracuse Newhouse Cup uh, my coffee cup, but I, um, yeah, so I was very fortunate, you know, when I was getting, when I was finishing up playing, I got to the point, I think at the end of my junior year, I realized that the NFL dream as a player was probably not a thing that was going to happen. What I always had in the back of my mind was that I wanted to go, my, my dream for all of those years up until that point was to play football as long as I could become a coach be a teacher, and my goal was to go back to Washingtonville High School, take over for Coach Green when he was done, and teach American history and, and be a high school football coach. Um, near the end, I got this incredible opportunity to uh, be a graduate assistant coach at Syracuse University under uh, Dick McPherson, which, uh, you know, again, you talk about people who influence your life and have an impact. Uh, coach McPherson was, was and is one of the most important figures in my in my life, uh, in my football life, but in my life, period. And, uh, you know, Coach McPherson, um, initially I wasn't offered, I interviewed, wasn't offered the job. I was set to go to uh, Wesleyan and I was going to be a part-time coach under Kevin Spencer at Wesleyan 
uh, in Middletown, Connecticut. And then I get this call back from uh, Bill Maxwell, who tells me, hey, listen, the third person we offered the job bailed out. Are you still available? And I, uh, I jumped at the opportunity because, you know, Wayne, it was an opportunity not only to go and coach at Syracuse University and be a part of a program at the time um, that was incredible. The year before I got there was a year that they were 11-0-1 and Donald McPherson and, and Ted Gregory and that incredible team that tied in the, in the Sugar Bowl against Auburn. Um, but it was also an opportunity to possibly get into the Newhouse School of Communications and get my master's in communications, which is what I got my um, my bachelor's degree in. And uh, interesting story, when I first got up there, I got the job, but the Newhouse School wouldn't allow me in because, you know, um, I, I, I said my five years of undergrad were interesting. Um, my GRE scores were high enough to get me into the Newhouse School but unfortunately, my GPA was a little bit sketchy. So they saw this discrepancy. They were like, well, listen, you got the, G the you, you know, your GREs are good enough, but this grade point average, you know, you're not worthy of being in the Newhouse School of Communication. So I had to actually go up there early and take a full semester of courses to prove to them that I could get into the Newhouse School, and um, which was great because I got my, my master's in television, radio, and film at Newhouse, but also got this opportunity to coach at the division one level and learn football from a completely different perspective, not only as a, as a coach versus a player, but from being at what central Connecticut was a division two program that became one double a while I was there uh, to go into major college football and be in this place and see what this level that I had dreamed about my whole life was really like. Amazing. Amazing. So you were at Syracuse for a couple of years and then coached, um, at, at Mary State for the after, after that, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, after a year and a half, two full seasons at Syracuse, um, you know, I was looking for a job. That's what your deal is you go for two years and 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 you 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 do your time. And uh, so after two seasons, I was looking for a job, and I had this incredible opportunity. George DeLeon, who was the offensive line coach that I worked for at Syracuse as a GA, um, knew the head coach at Murray State, um, who was actually a Connecticut guy who was part of, the, they called it the, the, the Connecticut football mafia. He was the head coach at, at Murray State, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Mahoney, was looking for an offensive line coach and was actually looking for three coaches at the time. Very interesting story. Uh, they had one full-time salary available because they had let a number of coaches go. And again, it's a one division one AA school without major college football. They had three job openings and one full-time salary. So I was fortunate enough to get this job at Murray State University. You know, the guy who had spent his life in the Northeast, um, I had to move to Murray, Kentucky, which is about as far southwest in the state of Kentucky as you can get. And it was a, a tremendous experience for so many reasons, Wayne. Um, and, uh, you, you know, but it was also a job where my, my first, I want to say it was the first five months of working there, there were three of us splitting this very small salary and my take-home pay monthly was three hundred eighty-two dollars and seventy-four cents. So that there I was as a full-time coach, you know, a grown a, a grown man allegedly, and uh, making three hundred eighty-four dollars and seventy-two cents. Um, it was not enough to pay my rent. I didn't have. I didn't come from a family that had that could afford to support me and help me. You know, I had been blessed to have seven years of scholarship, and and that included things. So I, I remember at that time going back and selling off parts of my 
baseball card collection to pay rent. I'll tell you what, the Robin Yount rookie card and the George Brett rookie card paid for rent. You know, I sold two of each of those. I, I had kept my entire baseball card collection and they helped me pay pay my rent until I got this real this real job. But that I tell you, Wayne, that experience, again, having been someone um, growing up in Washingtonville, New York, I had never been further by the I had never been further south of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, because we, the furthest I had ever been south was because we played Villanova. The furthest north I had ever been um, in high school was Syracuse, New York. And then the furthest west I had ever been was Syracuse, New York. So by, by my third year of college, I had never gone north, south, uh, north, south, east, or west of, 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 of those places and had never been on a plane. Um, you know, until we played a game in California my sophomore year. Then I moved to Murray, Kentucky, and exposed to this place that I had never been. And one of the blessings in that job was because I was the youngest and the only single member of the staff was I picked up a lot of extra recruiting duties. And two of the areas that I had were the Mississippi Junior Colleges and the Texas Junior Colleges. And you talk about someone who had a, um, in myself, where I had a very narrow understanding and view of the world, I got to see things and places and be proximate, which is such an important part of anybody's life education, be physically proximate to things and people and cultures that I hadn't previously experienced. I also had the Memphis area and Eastern Kentucky. So all of these spaces for me were just so, um, that job and those two years at Murray State, not only on that campus, but the places that that campus sent me for my job, education was invaluable. Amazing, amazing story. And we're so lucky to have Scott Pioli as our guest on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. And for all the great accolades and all the things that you've done, you, you touched on a little bit of sort of a foreshadowing of how you are now known as an advocate, an ally, an ally for equality, social justice, and social responsibility across the country, and not only just in sports. And Excited to, to start to explore that. But Scott, before getting back a little bit to your, your coaching career, how did you connect from the college world to all of a sudden the jump into in, go into the, the NFL? How did that happen? Yeah, it, it, it goes back to my, my time in Central Connecticut. While I was a student and athlete at uh, Central Connecticut, um, I had uh, a very my best friend growing up, a guy by the name of Matt Spencer, his girlfriend at the time. Um, Cindy Leone at the time, is now Cindy Spencer, worked at the Giants training camp. And I used to go down to the Giants training camp. I was one of those, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to describe what I was, but I loved football so much. I used to travel down on my off days when I wasn't working in the summer down to uh, Giants training camp to go watch and take notes and watch the drills and, and listen to coaches. I was just trying to learn because I thought I knew what I wanted to do. And while I was down there one time, Cindy Leone, um, who was dating my best friend, she and I were chatting after practice, and she introduced me to Bill Belichick. And this is back, I want to say it was 1985 or 86, um, and Bill and I just got to chatting, and um, it was after practice, and again, the three of us were talking, and Bill asked me what I was doing down there, and I told him how often I went down, and he saw that I had, I showed him my notes and where I was sleeping, and um he um, he actually said to me, he says, so you're driving down from Washingtonville to, to camp every day? And I'm like, well, not every day, but yeah, whenever I get time off. He said, well, listen, 
you know, if you ever want to stay down here, maybe come into meetings or and and maybe stay overnight. He said, I share this suite with Al Grow, and we have this common area. You can sleep out on the couch. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I jumped at it. So long-winded way of telling you that I met Bill back when I was still in college. And we cultivated this, this friendship and this relationship um, that I maintained through college and during my time at Syracuse. When I was at Syracuse, he was still at the Giants. And he would ask me um, at the end of the season, it's back when coaches did a lot more scouting than, you know, than they do currently. Bill would ask me about the players that we had faced, the Rutgers, Penn State, East Carolina, you know, all the teams that we played. And I would share my scouting reports with him. Fast forward to Murray State, uh, I'm there, and, and Bill and I, again, had cultivated this relationship. And he told me, hey, listen, when I, if and when I, this ever happens, I'm going to reach out to you. And sure enough, you know, he gets the head gig at the at the Cleveland Browns and offers me a job to work with him. And it was one of the, you know, one of the most interesting job interviews you could have. Uh, I went up there and I had to meet with people. And, you know, I met with Dom Neely, who was the director of college scouting. I met with Michael Lombardi, who was the director of player personnel at the time and um, and met with Bill. <laughs> And but again, Bill and I, it was odd because Bill and I had this personal relationship and I was interviewing for a job. And I'll never forget. He looks at I go into his office. He says, well, listen, he says, I got a job for you. Here's a problem. I don't know the pay. I don't know the title. I don't know what all the job is. He says, I'm going to give you stuff to do in coaching. I'm going to give you stuff in scouting. He says, just know this. The more you can do, the more you can do. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. But I'm thinking to myself. I mean, more you can do, the more it was like speaking in you know in this language I didn't understand, uh, but I learned to understand it very quickly. And he goes, the bottom line is I don't know what any of that stuff is. Do you want to work here or not? And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So the next day I, I spend the night. The next day I come to his office and he says to me, he says, listen, he said, I still don't know the salary. Okay, he said, I still don't know the title. I still don't know all the duties. You're gonna do do anything and everything. He says, but I got $16,000 for you. Are you interested? Again, this is this is 1992. I'm 27 years old. I've got a full-time job, and, and I can't say yes fast enough. And that's how that whole thing happened. And all of a sudden, I turn around. I'm 27 years old, and I've got this opportunity. Um, I think the title became eventually a scouting assistant, although around the office, everyone called us slappies. And uh, you know, Mike Lombardi uh, affectionately called me uh, King Slappy. And uh, that was, and, and that's how the whole thing started. And from there, you know, what I learned about what Bill was saying is the more you can do, the more you can do. What he was essentially saying was, if you do a job and you do it well, your reward will not be money. Your reward is going to be more work and more responsibility. The more you can do, the more you can do. And the more that I did, the more they gave me. And Truthfully, at that point and stage in my life, the best thing that could have happened to me was not having money. And, and that's the truth, because it allowed me or forced me to not be at home watching TV because I didn't have cable, couldn't afford cable. And also, I didn't have time or money to have a social life. And during those years, it allowed me the opportunity to learn to, to not only give. I didn't realize I was giving, but I was certainly learning. Fascinating story and, and of, of you meeting Bill Belichick and then turning that, you know, that connection into a real relationship 
and then your first job in, in professional football. Um, you know, we're here with Scott Pioli on our 76 Capital Leadership Series and, you know, just really excited to hear a little more about this. I mean, I think because, you know, a lot of the viewers on our 76 Capital Leadership Series are aspiring entrepreneurs, aspire, people that are aspiring to get into the sports industry or really do something special. And I think what you just, you know, shared, you know, goes across not only just in sports, but in just life and in business in general. It's about really taking on, taking and going after something and, and taking an opportunity and building on it. And certainly in throughout your career, you know, of 26 years in the NFL, becoming the five-time, you know, executive of the year, it was really built on those, that original, you know, just taking what you could get and then, you know, doing it, working as hard as you can um, to be successful as, a, as an executive in the NFL. You know, Wayne, I'm really glad you're stopping this here because part of, I think the biggest reason that happened, Wayne, was because um, the focus was never about becoming a general manager. The focus was never about where was I headed? What am I going to be someday? It was more about I was immersed in this job that I absolutely loved, and I loved it for the purest of reasons. I was never – I loved football. I love football to this day. I love it because of the history. I love it because of the teamwork. I love it because of the diversity. I love everything about it. And I was able to – I didn't care that I wasn't making any money. I cared that I was I was working in the NFL. I was around all of these people that I thought that I always wanted to be about. I never thought I would have a chance, right? Again, I thought I was going to go go to Washingtonville High School and and be the head football coach. Which, truthfully, to this day, that would have been fine because the job that high school coaches do in teaching and educating and mentoring, um, and or the college coaches do. But you know, when you're given these opportunities, you jump at them. So those moments, Wayne, of of I didn't care how much money I was making. I didn't care how many hours I worked because I looked around myself every every day. And here I was, again, working all day in the thing that I loved at that point in time in, in my life the most. And there's no substitute for that. I think the, the, the important lesson that I want to maybe convey in this is, and, and it sounds so cliche, but cliches are generally truth. If you love something, do it. If you're doing something for the trappings, and, and I, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge capitalists. I'm a capitalist myself. I get it. I do. We like to make a paycheck, a good paycheck. Yeah, we all do. However, if you're going to spend your life doing something, make sure that your heart and soul, your heart and soul, and all the other important parts of you, including your mind, are being fulfilled. Because money takes care of certain things, and even though. It, it, it takes care of things and it fills certain holes. The hole in your heart and your soul needs to be filled by something that you're genuinely passionate about and that is truly feeding you. And that's what the most important part of that job was. Well, I know that's important to you. I see the Father's Day football above your head and, you, you know, your daughter. You want to really show her what, you know, what's important. And certainly, you know, from my perspective, I, you know, my 20 year old daughter and, and 16 year old son, we want to just make sure that they are they want they do what they love. They, 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 I tell people all the time that, you know, it's if you're not, if you don't love what you do, go do something else. You know, you, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and because at the end of the day, you're going to have to, that's the life you're going to be living. You know, we end up spending all of us that become professionals end up spending more time 
with our jobs and the people at work than we do our own families. We spend time, more time with those people than the people that we love the most and that we've committed to spend our lives with. And, and it's the craziest thing. You know, when you mentioned that, that ball up here, the, the, the coolest thing about that ball, um, our daughter is 17 years old right now and this was her Father's Day gift, but there's much more to it than, than the football. And, and, and it's, it's um, you know, we talk about how much our children sometimes remind us of things that we're maybe not thinking about in the day to day. So she she knows how much I love uh, when she makes me gifts rather than buys me gifts, whether it's for Christmas or whether it's for um, Father's Day or, or whenever. And so she made this ball, but the incredible part is the two handprints on it. And when she gave it to me, I looked at it and I know what I thought immediately when I saw it. And I asked her to explain it to me and the two hands on it, the two handprints, and I don't know how clearly people can see this, but there's a black handprint and there's a white handprint. And she said, you know, daddy, this is because of the, I know how much you love football and I know how important the work is that you do for equality. So that Father's Day gift is probably one of the best I will, you know, I don't know if she can outdo this. So like, like I told her, well, the problem is she may have outkicked her coverage right now that I don't know if it's ever going to get any better than that. But she, um, our, our children definitely pay attention. That's that's incredible and incredibly deep and, and something that, you know, I, I can understand why you cherish that so much. Um, that's that's wonderful. Really and wonderful. it remains in front of the Super Bowl trophies because that's more important. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, you know, Scott, you, 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 um, you're at the Cleveland Browns with Bill Belichick, um, with your first job, doing everything you can, and then all of a sudden, the Cleveland Browns become the Ravens. What was that like? Oh, gosh. Uh, again, I will never write a book um, for a lot of reasons, but if I did, I'm telling you, that move alone, the craziness, because Bill got fired at the end of that season, the end of the 95 season, but partway through that season, Art Modell announced that the team was moving. And we went from battling for first place to uh, kind of crashing and burning. Bill got let go at the end of the season. The director of player per or vice president of player personnel, Mike Lombardi, got let go. Um, the staff was decimated. The Modells moved to Baltimore. They made this announcement. And I, again, Wayne, I, the, the stories of that first season are things that, you know, if we ever told the stories, people wouldn't believe them. I mean, we moved our operation. We remained in Cleveland and the Modell family moved. And part of the operation was moving or in the park, but we didn't fully move to Baltimore until March, which was a month before the draft itself. And that draft, you know, we didn't have Ozzie Newsom was kind of the, the default um director of player personnel. Ozzy had been, Ozzy had never even been a director to that point. He had finished playing. He was kind of in coaching with Bill. He was kind of in personnel with Mike Lombardi. He had this job where he was in, you know, in both spaces. And um, he all of a sudden, you know, Art fires all these people. And we go down to Baltimore with the skeleton staff. We don't have a director of college scouting. We don't have a director of player of uh, pro personnel. So Ozzy's the director of, I don't, I don't even remember what Ozzy's title was, but he wasn't the general manager. I was the elder statesman in the pro personnel department. Phil Savage was the elder statesman in the college department. And we got to run a draft. And um, I'll tell you, though, you, you talk about learning from people and being around people. What I watched Ozzie Newsom do that offseason of when 1996 first started in terms of the franchise moving, 
um, preparing for the draft, leading, forcing collaboration, and then making decisions um, that were un unpopular with his bosses and doing an incredible job. Uh, like I said, a book could be written on that story alone. And again, I'll give you a brief story is, you know, that year Ozzy is running the draft. It's 1996, our first year in Baltimore. People now know that that draft in 1996 got us the fourth pick overall, Jonathan Ogden, and then later in the first round, the second first round pick was Ray Lewis. The two cornerstones, or uh, but the two of the primary reasons that Super Bowls were won in Baltimore. And I do know this for a fact because I was in meetings with Ozzy, Phil Savage, and myself with Art and David Modell. And part of the reason that Art had to move the team was because of the financial situation that he was in. And there was this one discussion that happened shortly before the draft where Mr. Modell really wanted Ozzy not to draft Jonathan Ogden because as Art Modell said at the time, Ozzy, I had to move this franchise and tackles don't sell tickets. I really think we should think about Lawrence Phillips. And we all know how that worked out. Unfortunately, God rest his soul, um, not just Mr. Modell, but you know Lawrence Phillips. Um, it, it was one of the best and most important runs of leadership that I ever saw because Ozzy and Ozzy had a very close personal relationship with Mr. Modell and he was in this position where he was speaking truth to power and power that was not only in the workplace but Art Modell had a significant impact on Ozzy um, and his life up to that point and he had to tell Art no this is what we need to do so that year uh, and that time in Baltimore was it was was fascinating for so many reasons.